the cheesecake holiday. We had cheesecake on Thursday night. We had cheesecake yesterday at Shavuot Services, courtesy of Higginbotham, doctor. We have a huge crock pot thing of mac and cheese that's going at home right now that I'm going to rush through this so I can get home to. <laughs> Kidding. Dairy on Shavuot. What's the deal? Well, it's, it's a tradition. Like Milk is nurturing for your soul, it's life. So is the Torah. The Torah was given on Shavuot. So we eat dairy. But surely, surely there's more to it than that. Yes, not the dairy, the holiday. It's the harvest holiday, right? It's, it's, we're recalling the, the omer was barley. We harvested barley 40, 50 days ago, right? 50, 51, 50, 51 days ago. And then... On Shavuot, we bring the wheat harvest, and we've got this two special loaves, and we're honoring God, and so it's a harvest festival, but it's also the giving of another two, something very, very important. The two tablets were given on Shavuot, so we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, and certainly for Messianic believers, well, for all believers, but us in a particularly well-understood sense, we know that Shavuot is connected both with the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Spirit, which what better way to walk out the Torah than for the Holy Spirit to guide you in it. So we have all these awesome things happening. No wonder we eat cheesecake, right? <laughs> Call me a pessimist if you must. But this year Shavuot has been... Uh, one of a bit more serious reflection for me, maybe it's because of the forced quarantine that we've spent time in solitude and all life was turned on its ear for a while. Maybe it's the things that I continue to read in the news. Another very famous Christian singer came out and said, you know what, I just don't believe in God anymore. Maybe it's just the signs of the times and I don't want to be negative. I want to be encouraging to you. But sometimes encouragement comes in the form of tough love, as I think James Dobson once wrote a book or phrased it that way. I was reading some old sermons by a rabbi. His name is Norman Lamb. He's a modern scholar. He's from born in the 20s, I think, and has spent the last 80-some years uh, leading congregations and teaching and being an Orthodox Jewish scholar. And I was reading some of his um, messages, particularly one of his Shavuot messages. It wasn't very uplifting. It was about religion, the decline of religion. It was about the fact that religion, people were walking away from religion or they were uh, if not completely abandoning it, abandoning it, they were trying to make it convenient for them, which I understand to a certain degree. We want to make religion something that is rewarding for us, certainly, that's what it is. I hate the shirts that say, I got a religion, I got a relationship, not a religion. Well, come on. Religion is something good. It's something that's supposed to keep our lives ordered. But you know, when he was writing that, it was in the days of McCarthyism and the Kennedys. That's how long ago that was. And all the more today, the message certainly holds. 
people want their religion to be something that they need or something that they get a certain type of fulfillment amount or what, what's convenient. But what, what Rabbi Lamb did that was beautiful and connected it to Shavuot was he connected it to Ruth, the book of Ruth, which is clearly our special text for Shavuot. We read the book of Ruth of Megillah. And in chapter one, in a very famous scene of the two sisters, Orpah and Ruth, by the way, have you ever watched the Orpa Winfrey show? <laughs> you laugh. That's what's on her birth certificate because her grandmother found a biblical name and named her Orpa. And every other place that it was written, they wrote it transposed, and so she became Oprah. She's Orpa Winfrey. Anyway, don't say, don't tell me you don't learn things here. Don't ever tell me that. Verse 14, chapter 1 in the book of Ruth says, And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. What does that have to do with this? Well, I'll make that clear as we go. This is not the holiday of cheesecake. It is the holiday of choice. It is the holiday of choice. The fun, joyous holiday of Shavuot is filled with stories of making choices. And choices even and sometimes especially related to God that are very, very difficult choices to make. So this message for Shavuot this year is called Do Hard Things which is exactly what every single one of you woke up this morning praying you'd get the opportunity to do. God, today, challenge me immensely. Put me in situations where I can make very difficult choices. That's what I want. That is the exact opposite of human nature. Atomic Habits, you read, James Clear has a great chapter on Atomic Habits. Do you know what you are naturally wired to do? Be lazy and take the easy road. That's what you're wired to do physiologically, okay? And that's smart. It's a smart thing to do if you think about it in the flesh. Think of your average dog's daily life. <laughs> Sleep, eat, scratch things, potty, repeat. You go to a dog and you say, Rover, I'd like to challenge you some really difficult things today. The answer is, nope, I'll lay here and scratch things and eat. <laughs> it's smart. Why? Because energy is expended when we have to do difficult things, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, and your body is wired, your flesh and blood is to survive. Conserve energy, survive. So we like it easy and we don't like to be challenged. Honey, what is he talking about? Dogs and Shavuot. Shavuot is founded on choice. Right from the beginning, the giving of the Torah is a choice that Israel made. And it turns out, 49 days, you know, they're leaving Egypt, they're walking to Sinai, and they're walking to this incredibly great thing that's going to happen at Mount Sinai. What is it? What is it? What, what is it? 
yeah, it's not a trick question, the giving of the Torah, but no, the choice to accept the Torah. And it turns out, according to Midrash, that Israel was not the first option for God. This Midrash, long as it is, reads, according to it, Israel wasn't the first one chosen to make this. Lest the nations of the world complain that Hashem was unfair and not offering the Torah to the rest of the world, Hashem did, in fact, offer it to the rest of the world. He first offered it to the descendants of Esau, who lived in the areas of Mount Seir in accordance with the inheritance that God had given them. When he offered them the Torah, they asked, what are its laws? When Hashem told them that one of its laws was you shall not murder, they said, how can we accept this? The law goes against our very nature. Isaac said to our father Esau, and you will live by the sword. We don't want that. He next offered to Ammon and to Moab, Moab who factors into our story, right? Ruth, the Moabitess, was from Moab. But Ammon and Moab also turned it down. They asked, what are the laws of the Torah? When they heard that immorality was one of its main prohibitions, they said, our national origins are bound up with a story of immorality between Lot and his two daughters. It's part of our culture. We can't do that. Then they offered it to Yishmael, and it was a same response. It's the Torah says don't commit violence. Well, that's who we are, and we're, 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 we can't do that. And finally, he whittles his way down to Israel and he calls Torah to the Jewish people and he found a nation with the potential to live according to its laws. Why? Because they made this choice and they said, Na first we'll obey, then we'll hear it. In other words, we accept it. We will make the difficult choice. Who wants Torah? We do, we do, me, 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 me. I, okay, listen, it's gonna be great chosen people thing you're going to love it but i want you to understand this is god speaking to them it's not easy as a matter of fact it's going to be difficult at times for you to do this as a further matter of fact if you read all the way to the end of it you're going to find out that you don't do so well and you end up getting kicked out but i'm going to bring it back home i'm going to bring you home but 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 also realize people are going to hate you for this People are going to kill you for the choice you're making because you are accepting this and I am choosing you. They're going to hate you for this. And Israel said, we get it. We trust you. And we know that nothing worth doing is ever easy. And thus, we will take it upon ourselves to have this Torah. And that seems like an easy choice. Yay, Torah, chosen people, yeah. It's hard. It's a hard thing. And it has proven to be hard through the years. Paul, as a matter of fact, said in Galatians 5, when he was speaking to Gentiles about converting and becoming Jews, he said, listen, you better slow down there, Jackson. You realize that when you say that and you become a con you are accepting all of the laws of Torah onto yourself, which you don't have to do. And so he discouraged that. Why? Because it's a hard 
choice, but it also, like many things with God, comes with an abundant set of blessings behind it. Choose life, not death. Choose blessing, not curse. Okay, God, we'll make the hard choice. Now, speaking of converts and choices, we look at Ruth, great-grandmother of David, in the line of Messiah, but she was a Moabitess. I thought that was bad. Well, it was, but why is she, then why is she? Because she's not. She's good. Well, what are you talking about? Because she made a choice, a very difficult choice. I want you to understand what Ruth and Orpah had waiting for them had they chosen to go home, which is what Naomi wanted them to do. Tradition tells us that Ruth and Orpah were son, daughters of a king. At their home in Moab was familiarity, was family, was peace and easiness and luxury and probably riches and, and all kinds of good things. And Orpah took that choice and went home. And the sages of Judaism are not very kind to Orpah for the, for the choices that she made. As a matter of fact, I won't go into the graphic detail of it, but they don't like Orpah at all because she made this choice. And though the scene is such that we have this drama and, and, and Naomi is encouraging them, go, just go, and there's no, no, no. By the way, we get from this story in chapter one of Ruth why when someone comes to a rabbi and asks to convert, they're discouraged three times from doing that because that's what Naomi did to Ruth and Orpah because it's a hard choice. And Orpah, it looks dramatic, but the point is when she kissed and turned, what she basically said was, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to take the easy road. I'm not interested in more difficulty. I'm not interested in making hard choices. I'm just going back home where it will be easier for me. And the sages note that from that decision, because you'll find later just a couple chapters down that Naomi says to Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. So though she had been in the presence of the one true God with her husband and Ruth and Elimelech, now she's left it all with a kiss. And we think that maybe she vanishes from the biblical narrative, but that's not true. You know who Orpah's sons were? Goliath and the brothers who fell at the hands of David, who was whose great-grandson? Ruth. Why? Why Orpah for this and Ruth for this? Because Ruth made a difficult choice. Ruth, Virut Davka Bah, but Ruth clung to her. What does that mean? More precisely, she clung to Naomi's God. 
Because understand, this beautiful and brave woman, Ruth, was willing to make this hard choice to return home to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not her home. And when she got there, she was going to be despised. Look at that disgusting Moabitess. What is she doing here? Spit at, jeered at, just like any other, quote, undesirable that goes into a a foreign country and they're hated because of it. That's what was ahead of her. And we know that she was probably signing up for a life of poverty. We see her going through the fields and gleaning the leftovers. She didn't have a real optimistic thing ahead of her, and yet she clung to Ruth with these most famous words, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Wherever you go, I go. Right? Where you die, I die. Friends, that's a hard choice. But with it came a reward. A rich, rich blessing that this convert, Moabitess, like you're, you, it's, it's against Torah. Not technically, for a, not technically for a man to marry a Moabitess, but it is against Torah for a woman to marry a Moabite. Okay? But they didn't like them, that's the point. But this Moabite convert fathers the line, I mean, mothers, the line of Messiah for difficult choice, and she lives forever in infamy. Talk about other hard parts of the book of Ruth. Let's look at Boaz. You think Boaz had an easy choice in front of him? When he was called to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, He accepted Ruth as his bride to face criticism and rebuke for marrying this this Moabitess to risk losing his own integrity. And why would he do that? Because it's the right thing to do, even though it's hard. If you have a responsibility by Torah to redeem one, it is your obligation to do it. But he was not the first one, was he? The kinsman redeemer. And I asked, I just saw Irvin. I said, why would he do it? And, and Irvin said, money. That is why the first guy would do it. But I want to tell you about the first guy. The first guy, right? There was one ahead of Boaz who was called to redeem her. And it says this, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, close relative of whom Boaz spoke, that's the redeemer, was passing by. So he said, turn aside friend and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So you get it. They're having this conversation, right? And Boaz continued, when you acquire the property from Naomi and Ruth the Moabite, you must also acquire the wife of the deceased so as to perpetuate the name of the deceased upon his estate. He had already said, you can have the land, and the guy's like, I'm in. And then he said, but you have to marry the Moabites. And he said, I'm out. And why? Why was he out? Because if I do that, I cannot, I cannot, I'm sorry, I cannot, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own estate. Lest my reputation suffer, lest I have to make a difficult choice and maybe somebody doesn't like me. In other words, I know I'm first in line, but I'm not going to make a choice like that. 
that could negatively affect me. Now, how about a more Jewish and illustrative translation of that first thing I read to you, where Boaz calls him over? In the Jewish translation, it says, Meanwhile, Boaz had gone to the gate and sat down here, and now the Redeemer, whom Boaz had mentioned, passed by. He called, Come over here and sit down, so-and-so. And he came and sat down. See, our Christian translation above said, come over here, friend. That's certainly not what he called him. Come over here and sit down, plony almoni, it says in the Hebrew. Come over here and sit down, so-and-so. Why? Why that term? That is the equivalent of John Doe. That is the equivalent of, hey, you, come over here. Hey, dude, come over here. Why? He was the first redeemer. It's not like we have a thousand characters in the book of Ruth. They could have taken the pen just to add one more name. Why did they call him John Doe, Plony Almoni? Why? Because he was weak and wouldn't make the right choice. He wouldn't do the thing that he was supposed to do, and therefore his name does not even merit a mention in this small four-chapter book of Ruth. Because when you can't do hard things, you miss out on blessings. Boaz's name lives in infamy. His descendant will rule and reign from Jerusalem. His name is Yeshua from the tribe of Judah. Because Boaz will do the hard thing. He ain't no plony almoni. By the way, I want that on my softball jersey next year as well. I'm kidding. I don't. I want to be remembered. Just kidding. So, we've got the choice for Torah. We've got the choice with Ruth and Boaz. Our favorite part, of course, in the Messianic Synagogue about Shavuot is the spirit, right? The spirit. Yay. Who wants the spirit? I do, I do, I do. I want to do miracles. I want to raise people from the dead. I want to speak in tongues. Yes. That's not where it starts. Where does the Spirit start? It starts with a very difficult choice. What is that choice? What? <laughs> it's called the call to discipleship. That's where it starts, and that's a choice. Now, have you ever really read the way that Jesus describes being his disciple? Have you ever read? I, I cherry-picked. I picked a few for you today. And by the way, this I know is going to rub some people the wrong way. Maybe not here, but maybe someone who listens. Why? Because I'm telling you, it's a really hard choice to become a disciple of Yeshua. But his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I get that. But just listen for a second, and maybe you'll learn something like I did. Here's some descriptions of the call to discipleship. Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts 
the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. John 12, he that loves his life shall lose it. Luke 9, 59, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Yeshua said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go preach the kingdom. Continuing in Luke 9, 62, one of my favorites, but it still kind of cuts to the core. Another said, Lord, I will follow you. Like, I get it, I'll do it, but can I at least go home and say goodbye before I truck out on this dangerous road with you? And what did he say? He who puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, you will be hated by all because of my name. Matthew 10 again, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. What? You mean everyone's not going to love me because I'm a Jesus follower? That to me is not language that says, woohoo, party, Jesus. Now, I'm exaggerating for point because obviously the Gospels, the the, all, the entire Tanakh and the Gospels is filled with the blessings of being a disciple of Yeshua. But those are real words. They came out of his mouth. He said that's the thing. And the spirit that we receive is a reward for making that hard choice. The disciple of Yeshua does not have it easy all the time, and you'll be faced with difficulty after difficulty. You know how I know that? Because he told me, and he told you, not in some type of crazy vision dream. He wrote it down and said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. So I understand that. And in the spirit that we celebrate, this, this giving of the spirit on the holiday of Shavuot, it's the reward. It is the easy and light burden of Messiah that comforts, guides, teaches, supports, encourages. But it started by making a hard choice to say, I'll be a disciple of Yeshua. Now listen, that is way different than saying to somebody, say this prayer, take a rocket ship to heaven. Or, or... You know what? The Didache, the Didache, the first century manual of discipleship for Gentiles coming into the kingdom had a very clear picture of helping people count the cost. You didn't say, hey, brother, sit down. I want to tell you, repeat after me. I'm a sinner. You had to fast. You had to study under a disciple. You had to prepare yourself. You had to count the cost before you went into the mikvah to become a disciple of Yeshua. Why? Because it's a hard choice. Well, brother, I'm going to tell you something right now. Well, that kind of gospel presentation, you ain't bringing souls in. Well, guess what? Maybe not. Maybe I am not going to bring in a lot of souls, but the ones that I do bring in are going to understand what it is that we do as disciples of Jesus. And it is more than saying a prayer. And it is more even than caring for orphans and widows and walking around smiling and doing nice things. It's even more than that. A lot more than that.
And you know what? A lot of people will not make that difficult choice. And I want you to hear this from Luke 18. A ruler questioned Yeshua saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. That's an interesting, that would be a sermon in and of itself, right? You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, the ruler said, all these things I've done from the beginning, basically. Yeshua said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And what happened? He said, easy, I'm done. Here it is, guys, come and get all my stuff. He went away sad because he was very rich. This is not a call from Yeshua for you to give every material possession you own away. That's not it. That was Yeshua penetrating into the soul of another human being and seeing the one thing that was keeping him, one thing, and he couldn't make that choice. And it's not any different than Orpah's kiss or Plony Almoni's denial. It's thanks, but no thanks. Not interested. See, I don't, I don't want to come second. And here's what I love. After you, you, you read down past that, and Yeshua has said, it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich person to come into heaven. And they say, who can be saved? And then I love what Peter says, good old Peter. He says, and I imagine him with this confusion. I imagine Peter like Brutus from Popeye, just like this big, huge dude with a beard. I don't know why, but I do. And I imagine him looking at Yeshua like, but, but, but wait a minute, we have given up mother and father and home. We, we have done that. And you know what Yeshua says, paraphrasing? I know you have. And in this life and the one to come, you will be blessed immeasurably. Here's what it says, quoting Peter says, behold, we've left our own homes and followed you. What about us? I mean, truly, Yeshua says, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Hard choices pay off. And there's a consequence of watering down these hard choices. The alternative of presenting the gospel in this true fashion, the alternative is that you end up with a bunch of disciples who have no preparation for the real world and what this means. Wait a minute, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. I said this prayer and it didn't go this way. I mean, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. I have questions. It's, it's, there are some difficult things I'm dealing with and I'm having a hard time understanding life and faith and responsibilities and, and you know, help me. This, you, gave, you said it was gonna be something else. When you build a disciple kingdom like that, it is a sand castle. It's built on nothing. Hence, we find things like John Steingard. He is the lead singer of a Christian band called Hawk Nelson, who was, has been very popular. They've been around for a long time. John Steingard tweeted this week, I feel silly saying that, 
After growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band and having the word Christian in front of most things of my life, I'm now finding that I no longer believe in God. This is not a post I ever thought I'd write, but now I feel like I really need to. Steingard wrote explaining the loss of faith didn't happen overnight. It came with questions about God, the Bible, and his upbringing in a Christian home. Steingard did add, I'm open to the idea that God is there. I'd prefer that he is. But if he is, he's probably a lot different than what I was taught. I talked to Kelly about that this week. I talked to Paul. There it is. There's more to this than a prayer. How many of us, my friends, have had to make this hard choice to say, wait a minute, the God I thought I knew is way different. The Jesus that I thought I knew is different. The Bible is saying something different. I've got to like, a lot of people can't handle that crisis of faith. And what is their choice? The easy one to walk away and say, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I never heard that. I don't know anything. I'm going back to where it's easy. Orpa, Poloni, Almoni. Thank God that he called you to study it out rather than throw it out, which is happening all over the place because people are less afraid to ask questions now and when they don't get answers or they're dismissed or said, don't think like that, don't say things like that, you shouldn't be reading that Jewish crap. They're just gonna turn and run and make an easy choice. Shavuot and the choices we've looked at today are about relationships. And you, you want to know who God is? He's the one who asks us. Partners, he asks us to be his partners in relationship, to demonstrate that we're actually in the relationship, that it's not just about us. That's not a relationship. You know, I do it, I do it too often in my marriage. Like I, I say, well, you know what? I'm really busy. Kel Kelly, Kelly does this for me because she loves me and she cares about me and she wants to do that for me and she's always doing something for me. And Kelly, let's talk about me because it's all about me. That's not a relationship. You know what makes a relationship most of the time? The fact that you're willing to put yourself so far down the list that you can't even find yourself on the list because your priority is someone else's. And you make the hard choices to bring joy, peace, happiness, prosperity, and blessing to someone else. That's what a healthy relationship looks like because if one person does it, a lot of times the other person reciprocates and it's this unbelievably divine thing that a relationship can be built where everyone is making hard choices for someone else and yet you're together. And that's what God has offered us. And when you tell John Steingard that the Torah is washed away and doesn't do anything and 
tell him all this other kind of stuff, man. He, he, anyway, that's something else. But, but, Shavuot has been about looking at some of these choices for me this year. Like Atomic, set, Atomic Habit said, I want it to be easy. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to have to make hard choices. I want to be easy. But that's not the way life is. And lately I've been complaining a lot to my wife about having to do hard things and probably anybody else who would listen because sometimes I do hard things. And a lot of times I don't like doing hard things. And maybe that's why God had me write this message for myself. I hope not. I hope it's for someone else to get at least something out of what I'm saying. So here's where it ends. Each of you, wherever you are, in these chairs, on that camera, in Timbuktu, if you're listening, tuning in, and wanting to get something out of this, each of you have made very, very hard choices. As a matter of fact, the choices that each of you have made line up exactly with the hard choices that I discussed today. First and foremost, you made a choice to become a disciple of Yeshua. And in that, you've received the reward of the Ruach HaKodesh, which flows through your veins, the very same power that raised him from the dead, it says, is yours. You have also, those of you who are not from a Jewish background, you have also made the difficult choice to make a Ruth declaration that says to me and to the Jewish people, I am with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And last but not least, you've made the choice to say, the whole thing matters. Even the Torah, even all those laws, even all those things, I'm making a choice. You're, I'm sorry, you're making this choice, difficult choice, and I know it's not popular among your friends and they think you're weird and they think you're possessed or they think you're stupid or whatever and they don't understand you. That's what hard choices look like and you're making them. And we all have to do that. And I think that in every one of those choices, you're receiving blessings. Man, I hope so. But it ain't easy. And I know that for sure. So my desire for this Shavuot is that you and I will continue to keep doing hard things. To keep making difficult choices. Because we know what lies on the other side of those things. And may God continue to bless us all. And according to the words that I read you from the very mouth of our Messiah, May he continue to bless us many times as much at this time and in the age to come. Eternal life. Enjoy your cheesecake. Shabbat, Shalom, Hag Shavuot, Sameach. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.